Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Mean Old Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening. Listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. So if you know me personally, you know that I'm very passionate about youth and young adults and supporting them no matter the circumstance, but especially with those who are teen parents. Some of my passion stems from my experience with my own sister who was 16 when she got pregnant with my nephew, Chris. Now, despite that, she went on to graduate high school, summa cum laude. She went to LSU, graduated with honors, and then got a master of art in counselor education. And now she's a guidance counselor, as well as a fitness expert. And if you guys have been listening, you know that she's training me now. She is the sister that's very disciplined, (laughs) way more disciplined than I am. Uh, Let's just say that she's given me exercise regimens uh, for the past week. And I think I've only done like one or two days, but we're not going to get into that. Um, But I realized that everyone might not have the support that my sister had in high school, even now. And even with that support, she still struggled mentally as well as financially. Now, interestingly, the teen birth rate in the U.S. has continually decreased since 1991, with the biggest rates of decrease being after 2018. But although the rates of teen pregnancy are lower, the decrease has been less profound in non-Hispanic Black teens. So if the rates are much lower, why are we still talking about this, right? was because each and every teen parent needs to be and feel supported. Only 50% of teen moms graduate from high school. When considering the children of these teen moms, they have lower school achievements, higher high school dropout rates, higher incarceration rates, and are more likely to be teen parents themselves. So to help me talk about teen pregnancies and how we can support teens and helping teens forgive themselves and excel, I have a very special guest with me today, and that is Miss Draytona Maddox. Miss Maddox is a nurse. She's a mom. She's a business owner. Y'all, she is a boss. And despite being a teen mom herself, she continues to write her own story pursuant to her commitment to the medical and medical and mental health professions. She has used her educational background and her personal background to educate and inspire others. In 2006, she founded Purposely Chosen, a nonprofit organization committed to helping displaced teen moms keep their babies through non-stigmatizing support advocacy, and parenting education. From her own experience and the need to forgive herself, Draytona says that she created the organization as a way to help teen moms navigate the emotions of the damage inflicted by 
parents in their response to early life pregnancies. One of the visions of Purposely Chosen is for teen moms to stand up, feel empowered, and not be shameful. Although we are not promoting teen pregnancy, we are advocating for ones who need proper care, Ms. Maddox says. Ms. Maddox, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, I am so excited. And, you know, like I said before, I talked to your publicist and she sent me your bio and I was like, oh my God, I got to have her on the show because I just feel like more people need to hear these triumph stories, like the things you went through and the things my sister went through to know that, you know, just because you had a circumstance of an unplanned pregnancy, not saying those babies weren't wanted because my nephew is probably the most spoiled person in, on the planet. But, you know, it does change the course of how you thought your life was going to be. But that does not mean that you cannot be uh, a business owner. You can't be a college educated mom. You can't travel and do the things that you want to do. So uh, what she said, oh, I got to have her. I got to have her because she sounds amazing. She sounds amazing. So tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are. So how did you start off? Tell me from the beginning as how old were you when you got pregnant? When did you, how did you come through everything that you went through? I'll start with I was, um, I found out I was pregnant when I was 15, but I have to back up a little bit before then. My mother died by suicide when I was four years old. I was then raised by my grandmother until I was 14 years old. And right before my high school, my junior high graduation, my grandmother passed away um, just suddenly. I was at school, came home and she was deceased, which left me completely displaced. Now, I have family members that came in, but they only came in to take care of my sister, who was who has cerebral palsy. She's handicapped. And so they took care of her. My brother was 17 and I was 14. And they were just essentially just like, you know, I had already lost my mom and now I'm losing my grandmother. Like they just wasn't going to do it anymore. It was just like, you got to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And so at 14, I found myself homeless. And so I couch surfed, couch surfed, dropped out of 10th grade and, and continued to couch surf until I ended up in a friend of a friend's grandmother's home. And she was just a, a lady in the community, you know, in the black community who will take you in, you know, not going to ask no questions. She all the things she required was that I get back in school. She said I had to pay a utility bill and one hundred dollars a month. That was her requirement. And so I was cool. I'm like, yeah, you know, finally, I'm stable. I'm able to re-enroll in school. I'm excited. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I, I can do something with my life now that I'm not just going to continue to self couch surf. I was good. And one day it was a couple of weeks after being there. I, I was reaching for some bread on top of the refrigerator and uh, being a, an elderly grandma, she reached, you know, she touched the bottom of my stomach and she said, you're pregnant. And I said, no, ma'am, like, no, ma'am, I'm not. And she said, you are. She said, I said, you can come. I didn't say you could bring no baby. So I said, well, like, what am I going to do? Like I, I, the feeling was like my, my world had crashed. And she said, you can leave here or you can get rid of it. Those were her two, the two choices she gave me. And so I made a 15 year old decision to terminate the life of my child. I was around four months pregnant 
when I had an abortion and I went on, right? It was, it was my secret. It was my, my guilt. It was my shame. It was the thing, my burden. It was the thing that I carried with me. So I just started to excel in school. I graduated, you know, 10th and 11th grade I did together, graduated on time at 17, went right into nursing school. I started to excel in nursing. And so I, I got married at 18. Like I'm, I'm doing, the, I'm like, I'm making up for this, you know, just in, internally it's like, I'm going to prove that what I did, like I made something, it wasn't a mistake. Like I made something of my life. I went on through my journey, graduating from college, getting my bachelor's in nursing, um, you know, and then I get to this point where I'm helping, I'm at, in the hospital working in neonatal intensive care unit. That was my specialty, NICU. I'm working in NICU. I run into a 17 year old mom who had twins. Um, they kind of, ah, one twin was perfectly fine. The other one had some type of condition where she didn't develop muscle tone in her body. So she was really floppy. The baby was really floppy. And so they had to put her on ventilation, mechanical ventilation. And then they gave her the option to remove that baby from ventilation because it's life support, essentially. And the 17 year old made the decision to terminate life of her child. And it messed me up. I, it, literally, I was just like, she's 17. And I think it was some countertransference because I was saying, She's 17 and she's not mature enough to make that decision. And it was the same thing I felt about myself being 15. I wasn't mature enough to make the decision because of the consequences that I'm continuing to suffer. And I was feeling that way about this 17 year old. Now I'm much older, but that's what I'm feeling about this kid. And so I thought I was going to quit nursing at that point. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. It's, I'm, it's done. Like I'm over it. I was flipping through a nursing journal and, and, the, and I said, told my husband, I said, if I could change careers, I would be a social worker because I think that's what that girl needed. She needed somebody to intervene and to give her options. And they didn't give her, you know, they didn't really give her options. And when I did that, I flipped to the back of the journal and it said nurse social work practitioner. USC was offering, now I grew up in the hood, which is USC is in the middle, grew up in the hood. They were offering recruiting RNs to get their master's in social work. And that began my my career to start looking at social determinants of health. I started looking at things that that, you know, contributed to teen pregnancy. I started to focus on that stuff, but I didn't let that be my focus. Like, oh, this is my field that I'm going in. I continued on with my life. Then I'm running this foster family agency. And the foster family agency, um, they were, were asking people to open up a group home because they needed a stabilization home for kids that were displaced. And I'm like, I got this. Like, I'm going to open this. I'm going to write this program. This is my thing because I was homeless. I get homelessness. I did it. When I got ready to turn it in, the guy said, I called him. I was like, I'm ready to turn this in. Who do I turn it into? He says, you know, we don't have that need anymore in the county. So I was devastated. He said, I'm going to send you a needs assessment. When you look at the needs assessment, let me know if you can, it, it'll work for you. When I got it, I opened it up and it said the only home that they needed in my area was a maternity home for pregnant and parenting teens. And my world collided. It was like my whole journey and everything that I had gone through led me to this moment. 
I cried, I cried, I cried, but I knew, I knew it was what I had to do. But it all, I also knew that I had to tell my story because if I didn't tell my story of teen pregnancy and my abortion, then I wouldn't be able to really effectively help these kids. So that's why my mission is to help teen moms keep their babies. My decision when I wrote my program, now mind you, that other program took me months to write. This program took me about three weeks to write the entire program because now I knew from my experience, I wrote it based on everything that I needed to be an effective parent. If I had it, if I had me, if I had a purposely chosen, if I had, we call our homes born for Nia, uh, Nia means purpose in Swahili, born for Nia maternity home. If there was a organization like mine down the street and around the corner that this grandmother knew of, she could have told me about it. I would have went there. So I, I'm determined that no kid will ever have to terminate the life of her baby for a roof over her head because that was my decision. And so that's how Purposely Chosen came about. And I started sharing my story from that point so that I could be effective with helping these moms. Oh my God, that's such a powerful story. And, you know, I commend you for doing what you do. And it's funny how things work out, right? It's funny how God moves and he puts things in places and how it was a difficult process for you um, to do the that first business plan. But when it comes naturally, if that's your purpose, which purposely chosen is such a an awesome title, you know, um, when is your purpose? It just, it just flows. It just flows. So I'm assuming purposely chosen is a maternity home. Purposely chosen is the nonprofit corporation. And then the actual facilities is called born for Nia maternity homes. I got you. So when we write our checks, we write them to purposely chosen. Okay. Well, I'll just, I will make sure to put that in my link tree. And, um, and because we, we want to make sure you get some donations because this is such a, this is such an awesome cause. So you house how many people at a time in your maternity house? How many people can you house, I guess? And how many people do you usually have? I'm licensed to house um, six in one home, six young moms in one home and eight in the other. And so currently right now I have 10. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. And then through this home, you know, what kind of um, resources can these teen moms get through uh, through your organization? Um, Essentially everything. Um, We give them full support. I have a full staff. These kids, all of the girls that are in in my homes now are in foster care. So these kids were abused and or neglected as to why they were even they're even in the system in the first place. And then somewhere along the line, they got pregnant. So they don't necessarily they're they're not in foster care because they're pregnant. They're in foster care because of the abuse and neglect that they've experienced. And because they are pregnant, they have to come to a specialized kind of placement. And that's all I offer is pregnant and parenting teens. And so we offer you know, childcare. So they, they're able to go to school and they don't have to worry about their babies at school. They live there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is where they live. They can come to me as early as the age of 13, as old as 21. Once they graduate high school, and that is really our mission is to make sure I tell, I make two promises to them all the time. I said, if you follow the program, there's two promises I'll make. 
One is that you'll walk out of here with your baby in tow, meaning you won't have no CPS involvement and it's you and your baby to live your best life. And the next one is that you'll have a high school education. So you'll have that diploma so that you're able to really start your life and already be set up for college. So we make sure they have their necessary paperwork, you know, their IDs, birth certificates, all those necessary things. Um, they can enroll in college. So we can, we're able to do that if they're ready for it. Graduation is really what we push from that high school graduation because it's so difficult for them. But because we, we provide childcare in home, it takes a little bit of that pressure off. And then we have a full staff. And so these mothers, we are there when they deliver. I'm in every delivery. Um, and so we're there when they deliver their babies and they bring their newborn babies homes. And then it's full support all the way around for them so that even if they decide just to be a teenager one day, right, it being regular because we give them that space to do that, we got you because our parent mentors and our mommies in the home are there to help support them. Now, um, now Ms. Maddox, for people to be able to stay in your maternity home, mm-hmm. let's say they're not sure if they want to keep the baby or not. They just need a roof over their head, they gotten kicked out of their parents' home. Would they still be eligible? Are these this just for girls that have decided that they want to keep their babies? These are my program is just for girls who have decided to keep their babies. Now, if they if they come and say the initially the initial thought is that I want to keep my baby and then they have the baby and then somewhere along the line, they feel like I can't do this. Like I tried. I know I have all the support, but I just really think I can't do it. Then there's always conversation for I've had a girl, you know, a few girls put their babies up for adoption. Some will give it to a family member, but they initially try. Now, if they decided like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this or, you know, maybe I'm not going to keep the baby that I'm not the placement for you because we're all things baby. So the girl wouldn't even do well. I want to I want an environment where they can grow and they can thrive. You're not going to thrive in a placement. I mind when we're all things baby like we're doing ultrasounds. We're we're we got a Doppler in the house. Child, we all things baby. That baby leap in your womb, the whole house go up. Like it's it's like that. So if you're contemplating, you wouldn't even feel comfortable. So so we don't encourage that in our placement. That's awesome. So um what bit of advice would you give your former self or mm-hmm. um someone that may be pregnant now? Yeah. Um I would tell them to be courageous because it takes courage to make the decision to keep the baby. If they make the decision to terminate life, it takes courage to do that. If they decide to put the baby up for adoption, it takes courage for that. And so all these decisions have to start with the courage. I'm not going to say the knowledge because you don't have the knowledge when you're that young, you're, you're very, you have very limited knowledge. But if you have the courage to ask the right questions, if you have the courage to even explore what's happening with you, and even if you're undecisive and you don't know, it takes courage to say that I just don't know. So I would tell them that. Now, I did have my first first live birth when I was 19 years old because I got married at 18. I've been married 30 years now. Stay, you still like the guy, right? Um, but, <laughs> but I did have my first, so I still had the experience 
of being a teen mom. And so that was the thing that I, the, the second time around, I had courage. And that's what I, I always commend the girls that come into placement now. I thank them for the courage that they have displayed to say that I'm going to at least try. That's awesome. And, and and congratulations on staying married that long. Like that's an achievement. <laughs> yeah, right. That's an achievement by itself. Okay. Yeah. I've been married six years and it is a choice every day. <laughs> as nice as my husband is, it's still a choice every day. So, uh, so I congratulate you on that. And, you know, congratulations on this. You know, you started this in 2006. You know, it's 2022. I mean, there's a lot of nonprofits that have not made it this long. Um, so that is amazing. Do you ever have girls um, that are in your programs? Do they come back um, and give back to the program in some way? Yeah, I'm actually hiring one right now um, who she's 21 years old and she's a graduate of our program. And so she's onboarding right now to come, you know, to be able to serve these girls. And so, yeah, I have all, they'll come back. And it's interesting because I'm connected with every single girl that have been in my placement, young mom, they're doing well. Some are married, you know, in college and, you know, they're, they're doing well. And so, um, I stay connected. We have a private Facebook group page where we are all, they're dropping pictures of their babies and, and all that stuff in there. So yeah, we do have girls or I'll even have the ones that just say like, I have an extra bassinet <laughs> and I just want to give it to a younger mom in your program. And can I do that? So yeah, they, they always come back and, and that's the beauty uh, of the program. That's so awesome. That's amazing. So, um, I feel like I can talk to you all day, literally about this, um, but I'm, I'm, I know that we have questions that listeners have asked about this topic. So in this part of the show, we usually go to cases, but for this episode, we had a lot of relevant questions um, to this topic that I think we should go straight to those questions. So as our expert guest, I would like you to weigh in on these questions as well. The first question says, I just found out that my 15-year-old daughter is pregnant a few weeks ago. I took her for her first appointment, but the physician's office would not allow me to come back initially. I thought I had to give permission for her to be treated. My daughter asked if she could go to the next appointment alone. I don't want her to go alone, but I also don't want to push her away. Is it common for teens to go to prenatal visits by themselves? Yes. Unfortunately, um, it is something that I am fighting. I'm actually um, just a few months away from completing my uh, doctorate degree because this is one of the issues that I, I chose to tackle. They receive inadequate prenatal care um, and a lot of them won't continue with prenatal care because they don't know the proper questions to ask. Their visions, visits are usually short. Um, they'll put the Doppler on the stomach, they hear the heartbeat, and then they ask the teen mom who's maybe 13, 14 years old, do you have any questions? And of course, they're intimidated by the process and they say no. And so they walk out of there and they don't know what to ask. They don't, they don't, they just don't know. They don't know. And doctors um, often don't feel like they have to you know, start offering information to these young moms. They treat them like everybody else. It's like they're pregnant. They didn't have any questions. I let them go. And that's unfortunate. So you'll see a lot of kids, not young moms, not going back. So they don't do the every month until they're seven months pregnant. And then the, the two weeks, you know, every the eight month and that every week, they don't usually do that. They'll go the first visit. 
um, unless they want an ultrasound. They'll they'll constantly go back if they want ultrasounds because that's like, I want a picture of the baby to post on Instagram, right? So that's something they would do. Other than that, they're not going. But it is typical. Unfortunately, they have that right. It's that reproductive health rights where they are able to say that they don't want anybody in their doctor's visits with them and you know their parents or whatever. And so that's their right to do. I think it should be changed. I don't think that should be. If you're a minor, you should have a support person with you. However, um, it is their right to to say no, and they don't have to have you know people in there with them, not even their mom. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It is very common. I see a lot of teen moms. They often come alone or they come with their boyfriends. A lot of people do that. Um, and they don't come with their moms. Every now and then I'll have a teen mom that come with their mom um, or their mom is concerned. But uh, let me let me make sure this mom understands that once somebody gets pregnant, they are now emancipated. Okay. That is where the the there, that is where the, the law sort of protects this child now becoming a woman. So we have to know that this mom, although she's 15, is going to be making decisions for her baby. Okay. So if she's going to be making decisions for her baby, now she can make decisions for herself because it doesn't skip over the mom and ask the grandma to make decisions for the baby. It's the mom. And so we can't give moms the right to say you're mature enough to make decisions for your baby, but you can't be mature enough to make decisions for themselves. Although maybe they're not, okay? So what I usually do is I treat everybody the same. So I don't care if you're 15 or you're 35. If you come with somebody, I'm going to ask that person to step out, okay? Because I want to make sure that one, especially with my teens, it, did you have consensual sex? Okay. Cause unfortunately I see that a lot, you know, um, where this person has been, uh, you know, raped, um, oftentimes by a member of their own family. And then we have to report those, uh, incidents of social services. So we have to be able to speak honestly and openly with each patient. Okay. And then we want to make sure we understand what that child or what that woman, because it doesn't matter how old you are, what you want discussed in front of other people. Okay. So everybody has that right. And so mom, don't get offended if she wants to talk privately with the doctor before you come in. Now, Miss Maddox, you said a lot because I've seen it. I've seen people come in and I will go over a gamut of information and as a consulting provider, I don't do a whole bunch of total care on people that are teens. I see them because teenagers are still considered to be high in the high risk category. But you're right. I mean, they'll come in with as soon as I start going through a laundry list of this is what's supposed to happen at each visit. All of a sudden they have all these questions, right? They want to talk. And it's like nobody said anything. And I'm like, did your OBGYN not go over any of this information? So, well, no, you know, my OB was rushing or they had to go out for a delivery. And it's not just the teen moms that say that. It's the a, it's a 30, 35, 40-year-olds that say the same thing. Because unfortunately, in healthcare, we are in a society of volume, right? Everything's about volume. And every visit is supposed to be 15 minutes. And, um, you know, that was one reason that I chose to specialize because you're not going to rush me. <laughs> I don't want to be 
I don't want to be rushed. You know, I want to take my time. And as a high risk specialist, I can take more time um, with patients than our general OBGYNs can. But I always tell people, and if you're listening and you're pregnant, whether you're a teen pregnant mom or whether you are a 45 year old, you know, bring your notebook with you. You have questions, write them down. It's our job, even if you're going to your general OBGYN and they look like they're rushed, you can't leave that room with questions, okay? So make sure, and you say, hey, I have questions. Pull out your phone. You wrote your questions in your phone and go through each one of those questions. Um, I'm pretty sure some providers don't like me because I know that I will give people a checklist of this is what's supposed to happen at each one of your visits. And it is on my website, like the, the whole preconception checklist and the, this should happen at these gestational ages um, checklist. And I've heard from providers that say, well, you gave you gave my patient a checklist and now they're asking me why I didn't do a Tdap. I said, well, did you do it? <laughs> did you do it? Okay, because that's what's happened in 28 weeks. But, um, but you're right. We need to slow down. And I'm glad that you are there with these girls helping them advocate and making sure providers are held accountable, right? Held accountable. Because you're right, when people see people that they may think, oh, this person doesn't have the resources, you know, I may not get sued for this one, you know, they tend to uh, let up and they can speed through. But we do need to hold, um, hold our doctors and our nurse practitioners and our providers accountable, um, no matter who it is. Okay. And as providers, we need to hold each other accountable. Cause I will definitely say, did you talk to your OBGYN about that? Did you ask your OBGYN? Let me call them now. <laughs> call them in the middle of it. Hey, you sent this patient over. She has X, Y, and Z questions. Did you do that? Um, so we need to hold our, our each other as professionals, as healthcare professionals, um, accountable as well. But, uh, but yeah, mom is common. It's common. Just, uh, I would encourage all moms, if you are a mom of a teen that is now pregnant, you know, if you're not going to these visits, still keep that open line of communication. I just remember my sister, when she was pregnant, my mom was just angry initially. She was so angry with her. I mean, to the point where I was like, you know, at that time, my sister was 16. I was 17. We're only 18 months apart. And I literally told my mom, can you just get over it? Like, why are you so angry? Like this baby is coming. Stop being so angry. But I do understand that as a parent, you may be disappointed, but you have got to now help your child through the most difficult time of their lives and realize that, yeah, they didn't plan to get pregnant, but guess what? This baby is coming. Whether or not you like it or not. So I would encourage this mom just to, if you can't be there, if your daughter doesn't want you in the appointments, you know, maybe there's something that she doesn't want to talk in front of you about, you know, so try to keep that open line of communication with your daughter and be supportive and less judgmental and questioning. All right. Well, what's the next question? Next one says, Dr. Plenty, my 17-year-old daughter is 12 weeks pregnant with her first baby. I'm concerned that the nurse practitioner she's seeing told her to start taking aspirin in pregnancy. She said it was to stop her from having high blood pressure issues. My daughter doesn't have any medical problems, and I'm concerned that she's getting bad advice. 
Wouldn't aspirin cause her to have increased risk of bleeding? That's interesting. (laughs) I'm going to say this. I'm glad that this uh, mom is asking these kind of questions, right? And I feel that, again, this is providers having to keep each other accountable. And it irks my nerves when people tell people something and they don't tell them why. They don't explain really why. So if your daughter is African-American or or of African-American descent or Hispanic descent, she should be on baby aspirin. And that's because that helps reduce the risk of preeclampsia. There's an episode on preeclampsia. You can go back and listen to that. And preeclampsia is when you have high blood pressure and vascular damage. Aspirin helps reduce that risk by about 15% if you take it early. And we usually start it at 12 weeks. You take it every day until 36 weeks to help reduce that risk. No, your daughter doesn't have any blood pressure issues, but she is at risk because she's a teen. So people that are under age 19 or over age 35 are in those higher risk categories that they can have an increased risk of preeclampsia, even if they have low blood pressure going into the pregnancy. So she was told good advice and it doesn't increase your risk of bleeding because you're going to take that little low dose, 81 milligram baby aspirin. You're not taking the 325 headache medicine, but I think the flaw in this, the bad advice is that she wasn't told. Okay. She wasn't told, Hey, this is why you're taking this baby aspirin, okay? And this is when we want you to start it and this is when you want you to stop it. I'm not saying that that advice wasn't, you know, briefly glossed over and maybe your daughter forgot why, but it still should be like, hey, I'm giving you information about this because I know that if you go to pharmacies and you say you're pregnant and you take an aspirin, they're gonna be like, oh, you don't need to be taking all aspirin when you're pregnant. We have to do a better job of explaining, okay? We have to do a better job of explaining. Miss Maddox, do you have, let me just meet Ozzy. Your girls are taking aspirin, right? No. <laughs> I know, isn't that funny? That they are not, they do not prescribe them aspirin. And I serve predominantly black and brown girls that are in foster care, but they do not prescribe them aspirin. Um, at all. And they are at high risk. And so you're absolutely right. Even it's funny because even the high risk girls that actually see um, a high risk doctor is not prescribed aspirin. So um, that, that was very interesting, but I think you're, you're right in the sense that I'm, I totally agree with what you're saying. What, what's interesting is that the, again, they're not understanding the necessity, right? Like they're not understanding what's happening. And that is the responsibility of the practitioner. That is the responsibility of the medical doctor to make sure the OBGYN to make sure that these kids are understanding. And with the understanding that they are 17, you know, years old, that they're still teenagers. So they're not understanding. My biggest problem now that I deal with is glucose testing right? Like the kids, they tell them what to do. And these kids are clueless. And the only thing that the teenager gets is that I can't eat. I have to fast all night. And they're like, I can't eat breakfast. Miss Drayton, I can't eat breakfast. Like that's really their, their thing, but they're not understanding like what it even means. And when the test is done, they never even give them the results. Mm. So that that's the thing. So 
that's where the, the biggest flaw is. I totally understand the whole thing of like taking in. It's interesting that they don't give my girls that. So I'm going to go back and, and inquire because this this is something that you're like, wait, matter of fact, they should be right. But um, but yeah, they have not. I have yet in all the years I've been in service. None of my girls have had um, aspirin. Well, that's crazy because I'm telling you, um, as of February of this year, now being an African-American is an independent risk factor for preeclampsia. So they should all be on aspirin if you are have pre-existing diabetes, if you have obesity, and not just like big, big obesity, like a BMI over 30. My BMI is 32, okay? So they should be on aspirin to help reduce their risk. The only time we don't put people on aspirin to reduce their risk is if they have had bleeding issues in the first trimester. So if they've been told, hey, I have blood between those two layers of the gestational sac or what's called a subchorionic hemorrhage, then they shouldn't be on aspirin. Although it's really not a good blood thinner at a low dose, we just don't give them anything that could irritate that. So, um, but other than that, they should be on aspirin. And for the um, diabetes, I know everybody has to do the diabetic screen between 26 to 30 weeks. You know, you don't have to be fasting for the one hour. You have to be fasting for the three hour. But I always tell patients, hey, ask your OBGYN if you can do that thing first thing in the morning. I mean, there's no reason for you to have to wait till 10 or 12 o'clock. Like you can just go to the lab and get that done. Like, hey, can I get this done? Like starting at eight. So I'm done with it by 10 because I do not want to starve all day. I mean, that's pretty, a pretty simple request because they're right. I mean, you're pregnant and you starting that thing at 10 o'clock. You're not going to be done with it until 12 or one. I mean, you know, that's a long time to not eat because at three hour you have to be fasting for eight hours. So I'll be like, can I go first thing when the lab opens? <laughs> can I go the first thing? So I won't have to starve all day. Um, Cause we don't want that to happen, but hmm. interesting. I'm going to have to check on you. I'm going to have to check on you. Make sure this aspirin thing happens. Yeah. Listen, I am like a big stickler for preeclampsia. Like I had a cousin that passed away from complications of preeclampsia. She was 23. So I'm like really hardcore on everything preeclampsia. My thesis was on preeclampsia. Like I don't play about that. And us, uh, you know, black and brown women are, you know, have a higher mortality rate maternal mortality rate at that because of preeclampsia. So I'm going to have to check on you, Miss Maddox. I'm Make wondering sure. though, so is it, um, that's interesting. I, I'm going to check on it myself. Like that's the first thing that I'm going to do um, tomorrow is, is check on that because I'm wondering why this, uh, I'd love that this, this question came up because that's interesting that I've never heard that that was a, a thing like it's never been and all I serve is pregnant and parenting. So mm-hmm. yeah, now, so now I'm going to, I'm going to inquire too. So, <laughs> so thank you mom for that question. Like that works for me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So what's our third question? Our third question reads, thanks for allowing me to ask my question. I have a son who is 16 years old. His girlfriend is pregnant, but he said she was sexually active with other boys at the school prior to them dating. So I don't know if this is my son's baby, but my son is going to all of the prenatal visits and claiming the baby. How can I, as his mother, protect him and legally request a paternity test after the baby is delivered? Well, she can't. 
but he can. <laughs> so he can request it, but of course it'll have to be, you know, it has to go through the courts and it'll, you know, it comes down to, to custody and child support because once the baby is born, there is, you know, no one really, even though the mom gave birth to the baby legally, there's no custody of the baby unless you go and get that um, document from the, from the court. And so they both would have equal rights. What I always, um, I always have a conversation with our moms because there's a thing in California where they can sign a declaration of paternity. The, the dads can in the hospital, which is their paperwork that essentially says, I don't need a DNA or a paternity test to determine that I'm the father. I am the father. And so some of the moms will be like, you know, letting the dad sign that. And then soon as, the, you know, a few weeks after the baby's born, they don't want to be with them anymore. And then we have this huge issue over paternity. And then they can take, the young man can take that to court and show that he's already signed that. And then they open up the whole custody hearing and the court can order the, you know, paternity test to essentially establish. And then it just goes into custody stuff, you know, 50, 50 or whatever. The judges usually get 50, 50. They don't have any um, questions about the father. Um, nowadays they'll give them 50, 50 and it starts that whole battle there. But yeah. Now, how do you um, I'm glad this question came up about the the fathers. Now, if you are if you have a, um, a teen that's in your maternity home, how are you guys dealing with paternity and visitation and things like that? How's that happening? Oh, we love the dads. <laughs> we love the teen dads. Mm. We don't so, love the 30 year old and 40 year old dads. Mm. Um, we don't love them. We don't love the human trafficking dads. Um, we don't love them. But the which is really interesting because I had a, a guy who was a trafficker who actually petitioned the court for um, custody of his the nerve, right? The nerve, um, the audacity <laughs> to petition the court for paternity um, of his child wanted a paternity test. But um, I think we threatened him enough for him to just stop that. But he definitely he tried it. He he definitely tried it. Wouldn't but, he go to Wouldn't he go to jail? I mean, wouldn't he? Right. But so what What has to happen is somebody has to somebody have to press charges, and it usually has to be either the the young lady who's never going to do it, or that that child's mother essentially will have to press charges. The proof that the child was actually trafficked is is the birth of the baby right like established that and that will determine that that child is actually the you know this 40 year old man's or whatever and so other than that the teen dads are able to come we have like bonding with the baby they're actually you know can have visitation and we usually don't have any problems with the teen dads they are they are wonderful they're learning they're curious and and so they're good they're there in the hospital when the baby is born some of the older ones like i said will try they will try to come they will want to be a part of um yeah so it's it's an it's an the dads that's that's an interesting fight um, that we just continue to deal with, but the teen dads are great. The other ones, not so much. Wait, okay. So wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. So I just feel like once the baby's born, if paternity is confirmed, that's not enough for that dad to have charges against them. Yeah. That's if that is, if somebody presses charges. So essentially if nobody press charges, there's no crime. Right. Yeah, but 
isn't that statutory rape? <laughs> it's statutory rape if the DA picks it up, right? So somebody has to somebody has to press charges. It has to go through the 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 system first. So the system, like somebody presses charge, then it gets to the DA, and then the D, like that's how it's picked up. But if there's no charges filed, and say this just like dad goes to court, petitions for paternity for his child, and all of this type of stuff. He can, and the mom agrees, say that the mom, the teen mom agrees and they do the paternity. Courts don't, the courts is not, they're not, um, you know, the law. I mean, they're the law in the sense that they make the decisions, but they're not, they're not going to put them in jail. Like they don't put them in jail. So it would have to be the police. There has to be a charge that's filed and it would, it's never, I can say in my whole entire experience it's never been the teen mom that has ever wanted to press charges it has always been the mom of the teen mom the grandma essentially who wanted to press charges um against the the trafficker once that happens then the dad won't pursue like they won't go to court at that point because they know that they have somebody who's going to press charges and it's usually the jerks right it's the it's the one who trafficked the teen mom is getting herself together she doesn't want to be in the life anymore she's leaving the life that this dad starts to threaten you know to take their kid like you're in fault now he knows her whole history right he knows that she's in foster care he knows that she's been on the street he knows everything that she's been doing so it's a part of the manipulation to say that if you don't let me either one take this kid or you know have whatever visitation or whatever with this kid then you know i'm gonna take your kid like that's 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 like mm. the threat. And so this, that teen mom will, ne- like, she just doesn't, but it's usually that dad that gets mad that decides that he's going to turn up the fire. And then the mom is like crying and she's like, Oh my gosh, he's going to take my kid because he knows. And he does know. And he can essentially paint a picture about her that get her kid with CPS involvement. Oh my God. Cause he knows all over. He knows, he knows everything that she's been doing. He's been trafficking her, but they never played like the trafficker. Like they never play like that. So I had a young girl Sorry, who was, who was, oh, I had a young girl that was being trafficked. He got arrested. The dad got arrested. So he's in jail. Um, the, the CPS arranged for this girl's uncle to come and visit her at the maternity home. And we were excited because we didn't have any family that we were trying to find family for her. And so this uncle shows up, he goes through the whole system. The court checks him out, background check, everything. The guy's legit. He comes, visits her at the house. One of my staff was like, "Mm." like, I just got a feeling about this situation. Like, I understand it's the the uncle and it's the visit was decent. It was whatever. She was just like, I don't know. It's just a weird feeling. He was dressed in a suit. Nice, nice guy, very talkative, whatever. She was like, I don't, I don't trust it. It was weeks later that the girl told us that it wasn't her uncle. It was the brother of the trafficker who was taking over the operation who came to check on her. (sighs) And we were fooled. He was in our maternity home. He was in there. He was, you know, like I and it was unbelievable. He went through all he passed all the, the all the checks. He passed all the checks. Everything panned out. And the girl ended up saying like that was her traffickers and he just can't, he took over the operation. So. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. We could talk about this forever. I, I swear we could. Um, wow. I just, I'm in disbelief. Okay. Let me go back to the question. 
Um, the mom wants to know what rights she has to make her son request paternity. Listen, mom, you can't control your kids that tightly. Now, what I would recommend that this mom do is, and I think that adults need to talk, right? Say, hey, bring your girlfriend over, invite her parents over, sit down and have a conversation, okay? That way, you know her parents are aware, you're aware of what's going on. You can ask whatever questions you want to ask. Her parents can ask whatever they want to ask. And so you guys have an open line of communication. I think that sometimes whenever teens are having sexual intercourse and then they're in disbelief, you know, your son may have just told you, hey, she had had sex with other boys. So I'm not sure if it's mine. You knew that. Your son probably knows it's his baby. He's going to all the prenatal visits, right? He probably was scared, didn't know what you want to say. So that way you can establish some type of dialogue with this family. And guess what? If your son decides, hey, he's going forward and he's going to support her and he's not going to request a paternity test, and you can talk to him about, hey, son, we're going to support her through this pregnancy, but you may want to be sure because you're going to be taking care of this baby for the rest of your life. So you might want to be sure you should suggest that he confirm paternity, but you can't make him. And one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to draw a line or create a bridge, I guess, destroy a bridge, I guess, between you and your son, because now you are, you know, second guessing the paternity of a child that he's already decided that he's going to claim. So I would suggest that you open some dialogue with that family. You let your son know that you're going to support him. You suggest to him, hey, we need to confirm this. Like legally, we want to make sure that you have rights to this child. And I would spell it up in terms of like it making making sure legally it's your child so that you can move forward in terms of supporting that child the way you want to uh, once that child comes into the world. But grandmama, you have no right. You can't do nothing. All you can do is suggest that your son ask and request paternity. So I would open up some communication between this girl and her family so that you guys can get on the same page. And nine times out of 10, you meet the girl and you're like, oh, she's a really nice girl. You know, it probably is you have a come to Jesus with your son and say, hey, were y'all being exclusive? You know, did you lie to me? Because sometimes people get scared and they lie when it probably is his child. So just talk to your son, mama. Talk to your son. All right. Do we have any more questions? That's the third one. So that should be it, right? Yep. Nope. We have one more. Okay. So this one says, I'm only 16 years old and I just found out that I'm pregnant. I took three home pregnancy tests. I have no idea how far along I am, but I'm probably two to three months because I haven't had a period since February. I'm scared to tell my mom. I think she's going to be mad at me. She might even kick me out of the house. Is there a way for me to see a doctor without telling my mom? And if not, what advice could you give me for this pregnancy? So, yeah, she can. You know, um, there's clinics, right, that a young mom can go to. Planned Parenthood is one where they can go. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what age they are. They can go and confirm the pregnancy. So that can be done without, um, of course, parental consent. And they don't have to tell their mom. 
But my advice um, would be to have that conversation. It's unfortunate and, and probably have somebody who who know about or can mediate the conversation between mom and, and the young lady, because parents think that if I support the child in their pregnancy and or teen parenting, that it's condoning the actual sexual act, right? Like, and I don't want to, you know, most parents don't want to say that I'm approving this, right? That's why they don't have baby showers for them because it's showing the sign of approval when it's not, it's really just support. It's still your child and you still want to support them. And so have a conversation um, with your mom and probably just invite somebody who, you know, has knowledge about this and, and can really be a support person to kind of, you know, be the mediator. Because I, unfortunately, I have seen, you know, it's true. People will kick you out. Parents will do that. That's that's a thing. That's a true thing. So the fear um, I want to acknowledge. But, um, you know, parents love their children. And so they may be mad for a while. But after a while, they'll learn to live with it. Right. Because it's their grandbaby. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would uh, I would definitely agree. Uh, you can you can uh, establish care without a parent. Okay. So if you went through a health department and went to clinics that are affiliated with the health department, you don't have to have a parental consent. Even if you went to, um, well, the, the deal with going through something that's not a publicly funded uh, place is that you need insurance, right? So you would have to almost go through um, your health department or health department affiliated clinic. So one of the uh, federally qualified health clinics um, so that you can get in, get some social support and they can help you apply for Medicaid and things like that. But that stuff is going to come to your house. Okay. So you have got to say something. And eventually, even if you say nothing, your parents will find out. Okay. That's what my sister did. She did not say anything, right? She didn't say anything. And I literally went off to LA, actually, I did the National Youth Leadership Farm on Medicine. And I came back and my mom was like, cornered her and said, you are pregnant. I see your belly, you're pregnant. And my sister was wearing an oversized sweatshirt. I won't ever forget. And I'm coming back at the end of the summer. So it's like the end of July. And it, it didn't even dawn on me that she's wearing a sweater. And I'm from Louisiana, okay? Sweater in the summertime is not what you wear. So my mom like lifted her shirt up because I was like defending my sister to no end. Get out of her face. No, leave her alone. I've been, I'm tired of you talking about this. She's fine because she had been vomiting. They had taken her to clinic. They told her that she had a stomach bug. They did not test her. That was before I left. So I was there for a month. That was before I left. And I came back and my mom was like, no, she is pregnant. And then my mom lifted her shirt up and said, look at her belly, Nicole. Tell me she's not pregnant. And I was like floored. Like, cause I was like, oh my God, how did I not know that you were pregnant? And at that time she, I mean, literally it was like another, my nephew was born in September, you know? So it was like two months later and she had the baby and she had him early. She had him in like 29 weeks cause she had complications and she had ruptured memories early. But I just remember like that summer was like, whirlwind. You know, I was going into my senior year. She was going into her junior year and she was pregnant. And I was like, 
really in disbelief because I felt like, have I been so busy that I didn't even see that you had this belly, you know, and you're wearing oversized clothes? Like it just, you know, blew my mind. But uh, I say all that to say, eventually, honey, you will start showing. Okay. And when you're wearing uh, sweaters in the summertime in California, somebody's going to know something. So whether you come clean now or whether you are coming clean when you go into labor, something is for sure that you will get found out. Okay. So right now, whoever you've told, because you've told somebody, okay, this, we're not the first people that you've told. And if we are, thank you for trusting us, but you have got to tell somebody. And I agree with Ms. Maddox. Sit down with somebody you like, you trust your aunt. It's usually the aunt people go to. Your aunt, tell your aunt not to tell your mama and come over so that y'all can tell her together. The other good thing about telling your aunt is that just in case your mama kicks you out, you got somewhere to go, okay? Have some backup, got somewhere to go, okay? Until your mom cools off. Because nine times out of 10, your mom will cool off eventually and allow you back into the home, okay? So I would say definitely you have to rip the Band-Aid off and you have to tell. Now, some people do have fears in telling their parents, okay? So let's say you told somebody, but you that person doesn't want to come with you to tell your mom, or you don't have an aunt that can tell your mom. You can write your mom a letter. You can send your mom an email. And I don't think that you should do that over telling your mom face-to-face, but if that is the only way that makes you feel comfortable, you've got to tell her some kind of way. She has to know. And yes, although you can initiate your care and you go through all of your care, you still need that support if you have it, okay? So I would definitely think you want to tell your mom. And that way, that allows your mom to, you know, she's going to, if she gets upset a little while, that's okay. That'll allow her to cool down. But once she knows, then she can help you navigate some of these resources. She can help add you, make sure that she's calling the insurance to make sure that you have prenatal coverage and things like that. She can help you pick out an OBGYN or, or go to the gynecologist that you, you've been going to. You're 16, so you should be around the time you have your first gynecologic exam anyway. But she can help you with those things, okay? But definitely, definitely, definitely um, tell your mom. Rip the Band-Aid off. You got to tell. Okay, I think that that's all the questions that we have. Yes, and my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've learned more about teen pregnancies today, and I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Miss Maddox, thank you so much for joining the conversation as our special guest today. I am just in awe of, about everything that you're doing, and I just pray that you continue to be blessed on this journey that you're on. You are an angel to so many people, and I just applaud you for everything that you're doing with your organization. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Please tell our listeners if they want to find you, if they want to follow you on social media, how can they find you? Under my name. Um, I think I'm only 
the only Draytana um, <laughs> Draytana <laughs> in the world. Like, I don't think anybody else has that name. So Draytana Maddox, um, Facebook, Instagram, um, LinkedIn under Draytana Maddox. And then my organization is under purposelychosen.org. So if they want to just look up the organization, they can do that um, under my website. Perfect. And if you have teens that, you know, have been kicked out or they're looking for resources, um, how can they, can they go to your website as well to see if they qualify for your program, if they are in need of resources? Well, you would have to be in foster care for my program, but I have a resource list um, where I try to stay connected with, um, you know, programs that provide services, you know, throughout the United States. And so um, they can just contact me and I will make sure that they get connected wherever they are. Perfect. And let's say, so our listeners, how do they give you, give you money? How they donate to you? <laughs> There's a donation button, of course, on my website. And so they're able to go right to that website and, and donate to the organization. The things that we most need. So kids in foster care, um, the, the state essentially and the government initially, you know, essentially takes care of the kid that is in foster care. Who they don't take care of is their baby because their mm -hmm. baby is not a part of the system. Um, they have no CPS involvement. And so essentially we have to support those babies that are in care. And so that comes from donations. That's where donations help us out a lot. And tell us that website one more time. Purposelychosen.org. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Ms. Maddox. Well, thank you so much for being here and thanks for all you do. And for our listeners, thank you guys for staying tuned through the whole episode. If you are someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. And make sure to catch up on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.